If you think back uh, to the end of summer, uh, you'll recall that we ended our last exposition study, uh, study through a book through the first 12 chapters of Genesis with a with a large five-tiered cake up here. You remember that? And it was the cake from Bill and Hillary's wedding. And watch that video of the great collapse of Bill and Hillary's cake. I want you to know, by the way, that'll be on America's Funniest Videos tonight. So you saw it here first, but you'll see it there tonight. It'll be a little clip. You want to catch that. Uh, obviously, if they're here, which they are here today, they're not there to win. So they didn't win, but... It was a great reminder of foundations and foundations that really matter. And we learned in Genesis, there is no more important foundation than the historical narrative that God reveals himself to be the one who spoke everything out of nothing and is behind all things. That foundation is sure. Uh, we went from there, and just before the holiday season, we spent nine weeks in a series called Disciple Dying to Live. And the reason we did that was to remind us that the reason we exist as a church, and if you're new to fellowship, please understand that uh, we have a mission here, and we state it this way, to proclaim Christ by maturing in the faith and giving our lives away. Or to glor- I'm sorry, to glorify God by proclaiming Christ, maturing in the faith, and giving our lives away. And we, we have that mission built upon Christ's great commission. So we say, why are we here? We're here to make disciples of all nations. That's, that's why we exist. And uh, as we thought and prayed about where do we go in the new year in terms of a book study, it was pretty evident to us that it's appropriate and right that we turn our gaze and our attention to focus on the disciple maker par excellence, Jesus Christ. There are no greater textbooks, there are no greater resources to go to than to go to the Gospels and walk with Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to do over the next year. Luke's the only Gospel, by the way, uh, with a sequel. Many of you know this. When you read Acts 1, 1 to 3, you find that he says, in my first account... Theophilus. In other words, when I, when I wrote the gospel of Luke, I talked about what Jesus began to do. And now in this second account, the book of Acts, we're going to talk about what Jesus continues to do through his church. Luke-Acts go together. Now there are four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why do we choose Luke? Well, that's the question that I'm going to answer in our introduction today. Uh, Renowned film critic Gene Siskel used to ask those he interviewed a question at the end of an interview that caught many, if not all, by surprise. They'd be talking about a movie and he'd end the interview in this way. He'd say to them, well, tell me, what do you know for sure? Oprah Winfrey was asked that question when she met and talked about her movie Beloved with Gene. And at the end of that time, he looked at her and he said, Oprah, what do you know for sure? And she says, and I quote, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And she says she knew that, you know, he wasn't asking what she thought or what she knew for sure about her movie. She knew that he was asking, what do you know for sure about life, about the world, about meaning? In the end, she had this to say to him. I thought this was very good. She said finally, and I quote, Gene, 
I know for sure that I need to think about that question some more. She didn't have an answer at that time. Well, she did think about it, and some years later, 2008, in her magazine, O, she printed the responses of a number of celebrities, leaders, notable people. She's also, in time, come up with her own list of 20 things I know for sure and printed them in the magazine as well. I want you to know I read all the responses that she had in there. I've read all 20 of the things that Oprah knows for sure. Every response represented that person's deepest understanding of of themselves, of life, of the meaning of the world. And some of them, I got to say, I was I was like, "Yes, I am in such agreement with that. It's, that's very profound. And some of the things that people said, I must say, were stupid. And, and we, we tell our kids, we don't say stupid around here, but I'm going to say it here. Some of the things were just stupid. They were inane. They made no sense at all. But what's inarguable is that Oprah and others, okay, the things that they know for sure shape their life. And in Oprah's case, listen to this. What she knows for sure is shaping millions of lives. I mean, we can bemoan the fact that her, her, her view of, of, of the faith is more pagan and new age than it is biblical orthodoxy. And we can, I, I, I hate that, I don't like that, but the truth of the matter is she is discipling and influencing the eternal destiny, the lifestyle and the lives of millions of people. We can't argue that. See, making disciples is about shaping and influencing people. And for good or ill, it's not what you know that shapes your life or shapes those around you. Men and women, it's what you know for sure. What you know for sure. How would you answer that question? I'm going to ask you to answer it. I want everybody to grab a program, a piece of paper. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. And, and I know some of you are like, I hate it when he does this. I hate it when they ask me to do something. And you know, I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you for your own soul. I'm not going to ask you to share this. This is just for you. Okay, just for you. I'm asking you to do this. I'm going to give you 90 seconds to write down the things you know for sure. How would you answer that? Take a moment right now. Uh, just write them down. Write down some stuff that comes to your mind. If you, you know, things that we know for sure are not very far away in our consciousness. They're there. So write those things down that you would say, I know this for sure. Take a moment.
Now, my hope is that you're going to just hang on to that sheet of paper, okay? Just keep it with you as we go through the gospel of Luke. I, I pray that it will it'll convict you, it'll encourage you, it'll show you something about yourself, and I pray we'll wrestle with it long enough that all of those things come in line with what God has revealed about himself and about this world. I want you to know that Luke understands this invisible yet unstoppable power of certainty. He understands it. See, what you know for sure is like gravity. You can't see it, but you can't escape it. It's shaping your life and it's shaping those around you. I want you to know if, as parents, it's not what you say necessarily that you're passing on to your kids. I want you to know something. It's what you know for sure deep down that you might not even say sometimes. That's what passes out of you to others. Luke knows this and he tells us, you know what? There are some things that we need to know for sure. We'll see that as we look at this preface. Look at Luke chapter 1 in your Bibles if you have them. Turn there and I'd like you to stand. We're going to begin this study of Luke standing for the reading of God's word. His word through Luke to us today. Follow along in your own Bibles. I'm reading from Luke chapter 1 verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. You can be seated. Thank you. These four verses are one sentence in the Greek New Testament. One long sentence. And they answer four critical questions. What Luke wrote. How Luke wrote. Who he wrote to and why. That's our outline today. I'm going to break it into three parts instead of four. So if you're taking notes, just know that we're going to start with what and how. That's Roman numeral one. I mean, what Luke wrote and how Luke wrote it. Roman numeral one. Verse one tells us prior to Luke's writing of his gospel, there were many others who had compiled accounts of things accomplished by Jesus Christ. See, in written and in oral form, certain accounts of the life of Christ were in circulation. People talking and passing on oral tradition. And there were written accounts about Jesus' life prior to Luke writing his gospel. Now one question that can arise here is, okay, if there were so many of these, how is it that we end up with four that are inspired and authoritative? I'm not going to go into that this morning. I want you to know we are going to be doing something throughout this study of Luke that will help us all here. Uh, the community group pastors... Uh, Dan Vorm is heading this up. They're putting together material every week, every few weeks. That, that'll be a plethora of material related to Luke. And it'll be stuff that goes deeper and answers questions like, well, why four and not nine? There'll be other questions we come across in Luke. They're going to provide all of those resources to community group leaders. 
And we'll make sure that that's available for the, for the entire body as well. We'll go to our website and you'll find a PDF there that'll have this updated constantly with additional resources. What I want you to see right now is we actually get a little picture of how God in his divine providence oversees a gospel and how it comes about and how we come to see Luke today. Take a look at the first two verses and, and note that God providentially oversaw this. And, and if, you, if we follow it, it's logical in this sense. And, and right now I'd have you look up here at me rather than the text for a moment because I think you can see this visually. And understand that there were, there were events that happened. Okay, so let's just put right here, events. Things really happened 2,000 years ago. Historical events. And there were eyewitnesses of those events. In fact, there were those who participated in these events. So let's say, here's an event, and I'm an eyewitness. And we'll see in a moment, I'm actually participating in it. And as an eyewitness of those events, it says they became uh, servants of the gospel. So we're talking about the original apostles saw these things, and then they began to teach and talk about the things Jesus did. Luke comes here, and he says, I, Luke, talked to those who were there and actually saw the events. Do you see how close Luke is to what actually happened? He's talking to people who were there. When it says they were handed down, the Greek word here is not like a sterile passing on of facts. It's a participatory handing down. It carries the idea that Luke is talking to people who, who didn't just stand outside and record what Jesus was doing, but people who were in it who were with Jesus, who in experience participated in these events. And Luke is talking to them. I'm saying this to say that this is the holy grail of a historian. It doesn't get any better for a historian than to have eyewitnesses, participants in those events. And I want you to know this raises for us uh, the, the, the reliability of this text. Luke's history of Jesus passes the rational, secular test of historical reliability way better than most history books in the Library of Congress. Luke's is that reliable. I want you to notice in verse 1, notice it says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. That word accomplished is a Greek word that means fulfilled. It's not saying, hey, some things happened, random events. Luke is saying he's recording things that were fulfillments. In other words, the things that he's telling happened were things that God God promised this is going to happen, and then Luke records that they happen. In times past, thousands of years, by the way, God made a promise and made promises. In Luke's day, those events actually happened. They were fulfillments of those promises. Why am I camping on this? Because I want us to understand, all history is salvation history. All history is salvation history. We all studied, you know, American history, you know, European history, Western civilization. We studied the rise and fall of empires. All of it, all of it, it are, they are all sub-themes of God's salvation 
history, sub-themes, if you will, of the greater story. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation. This is the meta-narrative, the grand narrative that God is writing. And listen, every history of the world just fits underneath God's greater story. His story of working out his salvation history. Which tells us this, if God made promises thousands of years prior and then he fulfilled those, you know, in in Luke's day and God made promises that are yet to be fulfilled in 2010 is the history that you, that, that God, that's happening to you and I today, is this history that's happening any less salvation history than what happened back then? Is it any less? Is God in any less control, any less fulfilling what he promised? Yes or no? No. Most of us are shaking our heads going, no. So that means that the events of our day are under the providential hand of God who continues to work out his purpose and plan for we know it's not over. He's not done. There is a recreation that comes and it will come in the future and God continues to work that out. Now here's the million dollar question. We said, no, we think it's salvation history. Well, do you know that? For sure. (laughs) You know, I mean, I say it, you know, I go, yeah, I know that, but This is where Luke's going to press us. Do you know it for sure? Because when we know it for sure with certainty and conviction, then when we open the paper, then when we watch the news and we see what happens in the world, we may be concerned, we may be moved to compassion, we will be, we may be moved to prayerfulness, but I'm going to tell you something, the events and the headlines of the world would not move us to if we're sure, for sure. It wouldn't move us to panic. It it wouldn't move us to fearfulness. Because we're saying God is in control. I want you to look at verse 3. And this is really the nut of what and how he wrote. And it's found on, as we look at these four words. If you underline your Bible, you might underline these or mark them. It's very simple. Just follow along verse 3 with me. It seemed fitting for me as well having, first word, investigated. Second word, everything. Third word, carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in in the fourth word or phrase is consecutive order. Those four things. Let's just take them real quick. Investigated. He's saying I investigated. It means he followed closely. It means there were people who saw Jesus do things. He followed those people. He went to those people. He talked to those people. There were manuscripts at the time. There were written traditions of what Jesus had done or, 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 or descriptions, accounts of what Jesus did. He went and he got those. He followed closely every thing. He He made a holistic search. He didn't leave a stone unturned each and every. Carefully, it carries the idea of precision and accuracy. It means, you know, we can say that Luke verified his sources, verified what he was learning. Consecutive order. This does not mean um, chronological. So when it says, I've got this for you, Theophilus, in consecutive order, know this. He's not saying, I did it based on time. No, as all the other gospel writers do, very few, they don't follow time chronologically in Jesus' life. He's ordering it in a logical sequence that serves his purpose. 
So you are not going to read through Luke and go, wait a minute, this is out of a time sequence. Some of it will be out of time sequence because he's doing it in a logical sequence that serves his purpose. We'd summarize it this way. Luke is the original crime scene investigator. The guy sees things no one else sees. Because he goes and he looks and he keeps looking and he keeps digging. And what we find in the gospel of Luke, under God's inspiration, is that Luke records parables no one else did. He records thoughts that people had no other gospel writer does. He records miracles that none of the other gospel writers record. Luke, through his thoroughly researched, comprehensive, verified, accurate, ordered account gives us the most comprehensive portrait of Jesus that we have in the Bible. Well, who's he writing to? Second point. It's the what and the how, now who. It's very simple. We read the back end of verse 3 and he says he writes to most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is a Greek name. It means friend or lover of God. Uh, most excellent tells us, we not, can't be dogmatic on this, but it tells us he was probably a, a man of some means and position, a Roman official, most likely. Uh, let me say it this way. Luke is writing to a Greek believer in Jesus. And it tells us that his purpose in writing is not primarily evangelistic. He's writing to a believer which, by the way, opens the door to most of us that sit in this room today. He's writing to those who have believed. John wrote his gospel to those who didn't believe. And he said, I've written this that you might believe, but not Luke. Now, just think with me for a moment. Luke writes the most thorough, comprehensive account of the life of Christ for one who has already believed. Why? Does that not kind of strike you? I kind of go, why would he do that for, why? Well, that's the third point. Why? He wrote to Theophilus. Well, why did he write this? Look at verse 4. So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So that is the Greek word henna. It's a purpose clause. It's called a henna clause. Some authors write their books and you dig and dig and dig and you're going, where's the purpose? Why is he writing this? And you can't quite find it. Not Luke. It's the first thing he says in his whole book. I'm writing this so that in order that for the purpose of you to know the exact truth of all you have been taught. The Good News translation says it like this. So you'll know the full truth. The NIV, some of you are studying and have it here. It says, so you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Exact truth. That's one Greek word. Asphaleia. It's one Greek word. Exact truth. It's the last word in the sentence. Note that when they wrote, they didn't have exclamation marks, highlighters, underlined, italicized. They used word order. So that when you read a Greek New Testament, you're reading it and going, well, this is wacky. There's, this is before that. This, well, they put it in word order for emphasis. He lands this word, exact truth, right at the end of this long sentence to say with neon lights, this is important. This is what matters. This is where the weight of the sentence falls. 
when we examine this word, it carries three ideas, safety, security, and uh, certainty. Safety, security, and certainty when it's used in the New Testament. How does that How does that play out here? Well, it tells us that Jesus, this account that he gives of Jesus' life is utterly safe, utterly secure. What do I mean? It means there will never be a time when any of these facts that I'm writing to you about Jesus will be undermined. There'll never be a time when we'll find something that'll expose and say, ooh, Luke was wrong. No, this this is certain stuff that I'm telling you. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates the phrase in the message. He says, I write so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. I put it this way in your notes and in other places you'll see it. Luke writes so that we can know for sure. For sure. And it should cause us to pause a moment because... If that's why he's writing, then the implication is there is a difference between knowing and knowing for sure. There's, they're not the same thing. How many of us today would say, you know, I know. Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did and will do everything he promised. I know that. I sat with that thought this week and, you know, I'm taking notes for, our, for the message, whatever. And I've got a sheet up here and it's just got, it's got a big long list because I was sitting there going, what do I know for sure? I, I know that for sure. And then I thought and I wrote this. If I know for certain that Jesus is who he said he is, did what he did and will most certainly do what he's promised... Why am I so often so afraid? Then why am I anxious about tomorrow? Then why don't I give like he invites me to give of all things? Then why am I so afraid that people are going to one day really know me and see me and be exposed? Then why do I see the problems and challenges in my life? Why do I see those things as obstacles rather than divine tools that God's putting there to shape me into the image of Christ. Why, why am I afraid to tell the truth sometimes? Why do I lie? And there are times I do. Why does my performance matter so much to my self-worth or image? Why don't I speak more boldly about Jesus if I know for sure he is who he said he is? Why don't I do what he tells me to do without question every time he tells me to do something? If I know for sure. You see, in my own life, it's caused me to to kind of step back and go, do I know for sure? When we jump over over to his sequel, the the book of Acts, let me tell you something. That's the story of a group of people who knew for sure. Don't take my word for it. Just take what Luke wrote and you'll find that they turned the world upside down. You'll find that they died at the hands of angry mobs even as they kept proclaiming Jesus is Lord. You'll see that they endured beatings and imprisonments and hardship, physical and emotional toil. 
you'll find that these people rejoiced even in poverty, hardship, and injustice committed against them. Why? Because they knew for sure that the gospel is true and Jesus is the Son of God. Well, what does the good doctor prescribe? Okay, he wants Theophilus and has to move from knowing to knowing for sure. What does he prescribe? This is so on the surface, but I think I, I, we can miss it. Let's not miss it. He goes and he thoroughly researches and verifies and organizes the truth about Jesus and he presents it to Theophilus in written form. Here it is. It's what he does. Which tells us that certainty and conviction concerning Jesus is rooted in a careful, intentional, and thoughtful study and reflection of of what God has revealed about him in his word. It all comes from the text. It all comes from God's revelation of Christ. It's like he said, uh, Theophilus, I want you to read this. I want you to reflect on it. I want you to watch Jesus. I want you to listen to Jesus. Pay attention to all that he does, his attitude, his actions, the path and purpose of his life. Theophilus, I've written this for you so that in reading it, you can move from, from knowing to knowing for sure. And when I think about where we're going in 2011, because we're going to be in Luke for a long time, and the privilege that Bill and Michael and I have of teaching this and, 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 and engaging in this text, I can hardly contain myself. Why? Because I truly believe that as we study Luke in this coming year, some of us are going to go from knowing to knowing with certainty and conviction. It's going to happen. God's going to do that. And I'll tell you, when that happens, again, read Acts. People do crazy things, redemptive things, sacrificial things. Their lives are transformed as are the lives of those around them. I can't wait to watch that happen in my own life and in ours. Let me give you five things. You know, you're going to have trouble writing these down. I'll get them posted. But I just want some clarification for you in terms of observation, application about this whole thought of certainty. These are things we're going to come back to over and over in this study. So know that this is just not one and done. But I want you to know this. Number one, you cannot be sure about everything. But you must be sure about some things. And you go, well, well, what are the things I need to be sure about? Luke's going to tell us. He's going to tell us. Here are the things we must be certain about. Secondly, certainty does not come by looking at our own life. It comes as we look at his. Certainty doesn't come by looking at your own life. It comes when we look at Christ's. Third, certainty does not come in an instant. It grows over time. There'll be moments of certainty, but genuine conviction doesn't happen like that. It grows over time. Fifth, 
we'll see this over and over. Our deepest convictions are born out of our deepest pain. I'm telling you, talk to someone who's got some conviction. Peel it back and many times, if not all, convictions like that. Life-changing convictions. They grow out of our deepest pains. And how about that? God uses those things to grow our conviction. And then last, and this is a big one for us at Fellowship. It's why we always ask, so what? There is no certainty apart from application. It'll never come. It'll never be bestowed upon you. There is no certainty apart from living what you know to be true. That's the only way to conviction is to live the truths we say that we know. When you came in, uh, you might have got this, you might have missed it. We'll have some back there. Some will be green, some will be not green maybe, but a uh, little, little uh, sheet. I want you to hang on to this. This is an outline of Luke that I've given you. It's a, a, an article on the back on the title Son of Man, which is Jesus's favorite title for himself. We get mixed up on what he means when he says it, but he uses that title more than any other. And it's not just a common title to say, I'm a man. It's way more. We'll talk about it as we go through the study, but I want you to have that. And I want you to keep this, just tuck it in your Bible, keep it there, because as we go through Luke, and as we finish the six sections that we have that we've broken it into, I've got a little box down there that I'm going to ask you. For example, when we finish the birth narrative, chapter 1, verse 1 through 252, we'll ask, hey, okay, what do you know now? For sure. What do you know with, with certainty having been in this part of the text? So just tuck that in your Bible. If you didn't get one coming in, grab one when you leave. Here's a response. One of the responses that Oprah had in her magazine. Uh, it's from a, a young lady, Elena Gabre Madin. She's Ethiopian. She's a former World Bank economist. I want you to hear what she says. She says, quote, in 1984-85, the year of the famine that killed nearly a million Ethiopians, I was an undergraduate at Cornell. At dinner one night, other students started throwing food. And suddenly, shocking myself, I got up on a chair and I screamed. Stop doing this! In my country, people are starving! And I sat back down. And I knew in that moment that I owed my country something. And she went on to serve her country in a very profound way. But I share that to say, I, I'm excited as we go through Luke in this coming year. Because I believe that some of us are going to find ourselves in a situation in the coming year. And we're going to shock ourselves. <laughs> It's going to dawn on us and we're going to stand up in some place and we're going to say, Jesus is the son of the living God. He died. He rose again to forgive us our sins. And I owe him everything. 
And then maybe we're going to sit back down and people are going to go, what? But we're going to do it because we're going to go, you know, his ethics are not ambiguous. His word is not unclear. If he is who he says he is, and I know it for sure, I will not stand for this. I must do this. That's going to happen. By God's grace. Take a moment right now and ask the Spirit, oh, Spirit, what are you, what are you calling me to believe out of this text? What, what maybe you are calling, what are you calling me to do? What's your so what out of this text this morning? Take a moment and consider that.